Hey everybody, Chris Fafalius here. If you enjoy One Hit Thunder, which I'm assuming you do considering you're listening to it right now, I want to tell you about another great music podcast on the Evergreen Podcast Network. It's called Riffs on Riffs. On this season of Riffs on Riffs, hosts Toby Braswell and Joe Watson are breaking down one iconic pop song each week. Everything from Taylor Swift's Cruel Summer to Journey's Don't Stop Believin' to Naughty by Nature's OPP. Each week, they crack open the song, trace its history, decode those cryptic lyrics, and unearth the hidden gems in its musical DNA. Not only do they dive into the song's history, lyrics, and impact, they also go down some fun and oftentimes hilarious rabbit holes. So yeah, if you're a fan of One Hit Thunder, I think you'll also enjoy Riffs on Riffs. So go hit that subscribe button on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your pods. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey, do you have an idea for a podcast but don't know where to start? Or do you have an already existing podcast that you want to take to the next level? Well, check out WeKnowPodcasting.com. From concept development to theme music to editing to logos, WeKnowPodcasting.com is a one-stop shop for all things pod. Don't hesitate to hit us up. We're very nice. This week, we dive into the band James and their somewhat raunchy 90s hit, Laid. Return guest Tony Hartman joins us to dissect the lyrics that he sang as a kid in front of his mom long before he knew what any of them meant. Did we uncover a deeper secret meaning to the words, or are they nothing more than American Pie soundtrack fodder? Stay tuned to find out if our beds are on fire for James, or if we think they should be laid to rest. One hit is all you need To make the money guaranteed And you can live off royalties Forever And it makes me wonder Is it just a wonder Or is it one hit thunder Welcome back, Tony. Yeah, I think you're in the, the five-timer club. Are you the first ever five-timer? I think he might be six times. Six times?! Is that for real? No, this is. I think this is five. I think this okay. is my Kobe. This is my Kobe ring. I got okay. one for the thumb now. Nice. <laughs> and it, what an episode to come in on, James Laid, which I think is one of the most '90s songs ever. Yeah, without a doubt. It's you guys have covered some some horny songs of late, but mm. I feel like this one is like elegantly horny in a way. Yeah. But it's also like one of the most 90 songs from a band who was around for almost the entirety of the 80s, which is so weird. Yeah, I found that out today. I would have never guessed this band started in 1982 and is still together today. And changed their name an absurd amount of times just before August of 1982. <laughs> I'm not sure if you caught that. My favorite of their old names was 
venereal and the diseases. (laughs) So they went through the names of... All it says is they formed in 1982 and that they settled on the name James in August of 1982. Tremendous for SEO. It was the hardest... (laughs) person like group to research like probably ever so so for the record let's just assume that they formed in january and over the course of eight months they were venereal in the diseases volume distortion model team international then just model team and then tribal outlook before they landed on james which i would say is as you pointed out the worst of the name options that they had on the table well, let's let's make this distinction right now, as I definitely made the mistake. Number one, James is a band, not a person. Number two, the guy you would assume is James is not James. It is Tim. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I don't think there's a James in the band anymore at this point. Wow. Well, Tony, I heard a rumor on the street that you had a personal connection to james and the song laid yeah for sure so i think this is right around the time like the one of the last songs we discussed was crash test dummies Mm-mm-mm, from this mm-hmm. time period so as we've determined it's like it's the perfect time period for music uh i loved this song and specifically i remember i had like one of those like clock radio alarms that would like come on before school i think i was probably nine when the song came out or something. So my alarm would go off for school and I always had it tuned to 107.9, the end, which was the Cleveland local alternative rock station. And this song would play at six, six thirty in the morning, an absurd amount. So a lot of times it would be like the first song I would hear come on before school. And at that time, for whatever reason, it was like, you know, athletes in the locker room playing backseat freestyle to get like pumped up before a game or something. This song like really pumped me up. So specifically the memory I think you're referring to, though, I think I told Matt about this, but I after school once a week, I would go to Michael's School of Self-Defense in wow. Streetsboro, Ohio. Yeah, it was about a 20 minute drive from where I lived. Uh, my mom would take me after work. And drop me off and I would learn, uh, you know, the martial arts. I think I got to like yellow belt with like one of the the, the black tape stripes or whatever. Uh, I feel like that was that was where I peaked. So one of the times afterwards, my mom had picked me up, uh, probably took me to Mr. Hero to get a sandwich afterwards. And then on the way home, that su- laid by James came on the radio And just as I would before school, I just started belting it out so passionately. I knew every word. And mind you, I'm nine years old at this time. So we'll get into, obviously, the the, uh, content of the lyrics for this song. But my mom just turns to me with this look of horror (laughs) and says, do you you know, like, what this song is about? And I was just like, I absolutely do not. (laughs) It's just like, well... Uh, maybe, maybe don't ever sing this song again, or at least not until you're older. And I just kind of sat with that on the ride home. And when I got home, I was just like, oh shit, I think I'm in a lot of trouble for singing <laughs> Laid by James. And if it, I thought it was going to get grounded, honestly. Like it was, it was a 
pretty traumatic childhood moment, but it didn't make me think the song kicked any less ass, obviously. All right, so I've got two things tied to that story. First of all, I'm so glad you brought up Crash Test Dummies. When I did the research on this song to see where it was on the Billboard charts, now this song like barely peaked. Uh, this was this peaked at 61 on the Billboard charts. Uh, sandwiched sandwiched between Keith Sweat's "How Do You Like That" and Melissa Etheridge's "Come to My Window." The number one song in America was "Bump and Grind" by R. Kelly, but in the top ten at number seven was in fact. Crash test dummies with them. Mm-hmm. Oh, I so knew there was, was some overlap for sure. But yeah. I mean, if to me, like the, the charts when you're a kid is just the thing that comes on the radio most often yes. when your alarm goes off. So I, at, this was the biggest song in the world to me at this time. So it also the other big peak it had was that it actually peaked at number three on the modern rock and alternative radio charts. Right. I couldn't get the full charts on that because Billboard blocks it. But I did see that the number one song at the time that this was at number three was the Lemonheads Into Your Arms, which I think, if I recall correctly from the Crash Test Dummies episode, was the longest number one song of 1993 on the Billboard alternative charts which is crazy because I feel like most people don't even know what that song is. That's a good song. There's there's, it, there's a lot of things that you said here that make me think of things. First of all, Tony, you said that this would wake you up in the morning, and I, I instantly thought if there was a 90s version of Groundhog Day, if instead of I Got You, Babe, it was James Laid right from the part of the drum roll before he goes, Lay! or what, how, how do we do it? Lay. <laughs> it's almost a yodel. <laughs> like, I'll, I'll s- it is a yodel. Yeah. <laughs> I think it's. Is this the highest charting song with a yodel in it? <laughs> Jewel had some high. I th- Jewel had some high charting songs. <laughs> but I think it's the highest. It's got to be the highest charting song where the entire chorus. Really, that's the chorus is the yodel because <laughs> the verses. Uh, I, I mean, I, I love the structure of the song because it's like verse is really catchy and then the chorus is just a yodel and then we'll talk about the bridge, but I think this has a fantastic bridge and then it's just back to this this narrative story throughout the verse. So that's pretty cool. So Tony, do you remember when you were listening to this as a kid, were you getting the explicit version on the radio where she only comes when she's on top or were you getting what was apparently the radio edit version which was she only sings when she's on top oh i think 107.9 the end was giving it to you totally unfiltered <laughs> wow. at the time. because of course being nine i had no idea what that means but like there was something within the first like few sentences of that song that my mom was just like whoa do you have any idea what you're singing and yeah i've a, a, I'm pretty confident, especially for like the the night drive. It was certainly the the unedited version. You know, comes is an interesting word. Not in this case. <laughs> I, mean, I think it. I think it's the most literal meaning. Of this, is, this is no K seven for us. Well, this yeah. is very blatant. <laughs> they, they don't spell it C U M S though. It's spelled C O M E S, which could mean that she comes on over. Or something. Yeah, yeah th- I guess this isn't a case seven. When she's situation. on the top of the world, she comes on by and says, hey, how's things going? Right. I'm just saying <laughs> it's not a cuss in itself. So the Wikipedia page for James was about 45 paragraphs longer than I anticipated yeah. it being. But one thing jumped out at me, and I meant to do a little bit of research on it. 
and I forgot to, but I'm curious if either one of you did. Uh, when I was reading about a part of their career in the 80s, so this is the set paragraph it had. It said, although they were being touted as the next big thing, several com- complex issues slowed their progress. Gilbertson's drug problem presented the band with no choice but to ask him to leave. And then this sentence. Meanwhile, Booth and Glennie had joined a sect named Life Wave that imposed many restrictions on their lifestyle and threatened the band's stability. I saw what that. What is Life Wave? I saw that and I have no <laughs> idea what Life Wave is. We, uh, I, don't, I can't believe I didn't look into that. Same. Is it like a alt-rock Scientology or something? <laughs> I guess it was a cult. Oh. Wow. Nice. Look, someone posted on this cult education institute, in the 1980s, I was part of a cult called Life Wave. It seemed to derive most of its beliefs from Hinduism. They taught meditation, and the leader, John Yar, who called himself Ishvara, thought he was enlightened. There are quite a few in the cult who thought that they were enlightened, too. The cult split up after his behavior was exposed. Apparently, he was still teaching as of 2016. Someone else says, I was a member of this cult in the early 80s as well. I'm trying to see, like, what... Something bad... I I feel like something bad has to happen for it to be called a cult... Am I? Yeah. I mean, because what's the difference between a cult and a religion? Well, so I theoretically, like, if they're saying, like, he was exposed for something, like, that doesn't necessarily always mean, like, there was a suicide element to it, but it could be that, like, he had, like, a secret home that all of the money that was supposed to be going to the cult was going to him, or it could be that, like, he was using his position as an enlightened one to just, like, get laid by every cult member and maybe that's what this song's about for all we know is about their experiences mm. with life wave but yeah I, I mean because that's like the thing is that they're most times when people think of cults they think of like a jonestown situation well let me tell um, you nothing, let me, nothing takes down a good cult like uh the the leader doing something nefarious it seems like let, yeah let me tell you guys this right now i googled what is life wave sect and the third thing that comes up is James frontman Tim Booth talks about sex, Whoa. religion, and how he, he owes his success to a marker pen. So, so there is there is an article people can can read about. I think this podcast just turned into a Netflix mini doc for <laughs> sure. The thing that I picked up from the Wikipedia is like, if you're in the UK, James is not a one hit wonder. They've had a, a no. couple hits. They weren't like, you know, this isn't like a jan ardine in canada type situation where there was like 30 hits but they had a, a sizable amount of hit songs but it was this song laid 1993 really brought them into the mainstream produced by brian eno uh the sessions that they were doing actually led to two albums an experimental album called wawa and then this album which was just called laid and uh, one of the things i saw was that the band thought this was just a throwaway song or maybe a B-side to a single. I never believe that. Yeah, Brian, Brian had to convince them about it. Yeah. <laughs> like, while it only reached a disappointing 22 on the UK charts, it did make a serious end-road for the band in the USA that led to performances on primetime TV shows like Letterman, O'Brien, and Leno. I watched all of them. <laughs> I watched all of those performances. I got to tell you, I watched a lot of performances of this song, and I got to tell you, when they play this song... Especially in England, the crowd goes off. People go crazy when they play this song. It is awesome. <laughs> go watch these videos of them playing it. I mean, it's crazy. People are, the whole crowd is bouncing. Everyone's singing laid along with him. It's wild. It's great. Do you think that's because, like, those opening chords, it's no, like, damn it riff, but it's pretty memorable. 
Like once that kicks in, that's got to get people pumped. But Matt, you mentioned the snare rolls oh, yeah. in the song, which I, th- I think is one of the funniest things about this song, aside from the lyrical content, is how often that snare roll happens. It's almost like the song is so conversational. Yeah. Like, especially when you're watching the video, it feels really intrusive. Like if we were just having this conversation and one of you guys just started pounding out that snare riff, like it would just be like, oh yeah, that's that's kind of what happens in the song. You know what though? You mentioning that makes me think about the fact that like the sessions that led to this song also led to an experimental album from the band, which like, you're right, there is, this feels like, something that they were jokingly jamming on and everyone was just doing their own thing and somehow it just unexplainably became a cohesive piece. I can tell you guys (laughs) right now that I can cite so many times in my mind where at practice or jamming or something where you're just jamming back and forth on two parts, like a verse idea and a chorus idea. And I could picture... Corey or PJ or somebody just doing that snare roll and we're all just like, yeah, like coming back into the chorus (laughs) and then going back to the verse and just having that happen, repeating it over and over and over. And I could see that being how they wrote this song for how many times that happens in this song. And it is other than the falsetto singing laid or he doesn't always say laid. He said he sings other things. He says pretty is one of the things he sings in that falsetto. But other than that, that snare roll is one of the hooks of the song it's one of the most memorable things about the song and it could have been a joking thing at first it could have made everybody laugh like he keeps doing it over and over i could see that (laughs) so i know that i'm a little bit younger than the two of you so i have to admit the embarrassing piece of information that my first exposure to this song was the american pie soundtrack i had never heard this song until 1999 and again that that rolling snare when I was doing research on this, and I also did a video for Geekscape TV about American Pie, and I had discovered this earlier this year, song was on all the trailers, did not appear in any, mm. the original version Dude. by James did not appear in any movie until the reunion film like 10 years Here ago. Here we go. Here we go. I'm, I'm really glad you brought that up, and I thank you for sharing that, but you shouldn't be embarrassed that the American Pie soundtrack was your first exposure because I think it opens the movie. And it's it's almost like the movie was written because people heard the song yeah. <laughs> and like, hey, let's make, let's make a teen sex romp based off this uh, elegantly horny alternative <laughs> rock song. But I know most people describe is, the American Pie films as eloquently horny. <laughs> that is. Yeah. No, I have like I have this like uh, Mandela effect thing where I remember there being a version on that soundtrack that was Butch Walker. No, but his band 1969 did cover it. Oh, okay. So that's it was Butch Walker singing it, correct? Butch, Butch Walker at one point covered this better than Ezra one point car- covered this. Uh, the version that ended up on the soundtrack was uh, Matthew uh, Nathanson, I think is his name. Oh, yeah. He's, I don't know if you guys are into him. He's, I think he's pretty incredible. Come he's on, like, Get Higher was a good I, single. I remember that much. Yeah, yeah I think because a lot of Matt Nathanson songs walk that like, this could be Butch Walker yeah. <laughs> kind of like energy that it, like, that was the overlap. But like, I like his, his, his version's very loungy. Yes. And like, I think he made a conscious effort to try to make it a little less horny, but yeah, I did. I did go down the YouTube rabbit hole and there is evidence of Butch Walker playing this song live, mm-hmm. uh, but I don't, I didn't, I couldn't find anything to back up 
remembering he wasn't even a solo artist at the time so it wouldn't have made any sense but like in my mind there is a studio version that's butch walker singing the song and it's like carbon copy exactly the same so i think the most important cover that we need to mention is that thomasy and nicholas who played kevin in the american pie movies in fact covered late in the last couple years on one of his band's albums uh because he's he got out of the acting world to be a full-time musician really i believe he's Mm -hmm. i believe he's actually on tour as we speak with past guest jared reddick doing like random acoustic shows in between the Less Than Jake Bowling for Soup tour. He put out an album called Frat Party, which I actually own this album because I saw him at a convention and was like, I'll buy that. And it's literally just a cover album of him covering songs from the American Pie movies, and it it includes a cover of Laid. He covers Stacy's mom, but changes the lyrics to Stifler's mom, <laughs> and then a few other oh. things on there. But Ooh. yeah. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. We're here to entertain you. We'll sing your songs. Hey there. Are you obsessed with things that happened before your time? Well, if you are, join me, the host of Before My Time, Gelsey Laurie, to discuss the wonders of the yesteryears that we weren't around to enjoy ourselves. You can find us on all podcast platforms. Soon you'll be swaying, so come on, sing along. We got, we got to break down these lyrics now Back that we've talked yes, about Yes, I would like to talk about the lyrics to this song. Um, the, yeah, the, these are, are they're, they're pretty graphic, but there's no cussing. It, there's, no. No, there's no cussing. That's true. In, totally cuss-free cuss song. Cuss-free song. So the bed is on fire with passionate love. The neighbors complain about the noises above, but she only comes when she's on top. Snare roll. Snare. Can you just... Put that in like really disruptive parts, yes. like edited in through the episode. <laughs> My therapist said not to see you no more. She said you're like a disease without any cure. She said I'm so obsessed that I'm becoming a bore. Oh no. Ah, you think you're so pretty. Hey, is this like a precursor to like Green Day? I, I was literally case? just about to ask, do and you like, think Basket yeah, Case was yeah. playing a, like doing a parody of this verse in the middle of it? But they're both, I this think is both rhyming, at the same time. Yeah. This is both at the same yeah. time. Mm. 93 right this, this song's this came out 93 and dookie was 94 there was still time for billy joe to be like yo this therapist line is stupid let's t- do something about it in a basket case hmm. i like it i i think it's cool that there was this like gen x uh 
like alternative normalization of therapy, but only through the lens of like sex, crazy problem. sex stuff. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh, then we get to cut your hand inside a till, slammed your fingers in the door, fought with kitchen knives and skewers, dressed me up in women's clothes, messed around with gender roles, line my eyes and call me pretty. Really ahead of its time. Really ahead of its sure. time. Yeah. Yeah. Pretty cool. I feel, you know, I feel like that's the most confusing. That bridge is the most confusing collection of lyrics, though, in the grand scheme of the song. At least the the hand in the till. I don't really, I don't really get what the the like robbing your workplace analogy has to tie into the sex life, really. But you're just not a freak, man. Yeah, you're just not a freak like James. Well, what's going on here exactly? Because at the beginning, it seems like she's a sexually she's comfortable in her sexuality she's lo- she's loud she's on top but the next verse makes it sound like he's into it he's obsessed he 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 loves it he's talking to his therapist about it but for some reason his therapist is telling him not to be around her even though she seems to like him enough to be on top of him and being loud but then it yeah it gets really gets really strange in in this next part what yeah so is she, is she actually a crazy person, like with knives and s- slamming his fingers in the door and stuff? Is that- oh, so maybe, so maybe this is, maybe this is one of those stories of a girl who you know is crazy, but like, you also know that she's like wild in bed. So you, you go along with it, but. Like, because he says, I'm so obsessed that I'm becoming a bore. Like, I think that it's like, like, we're thinking, but it's maybe like, if this girl's not making my life wild, my life is really boring. So even though I know that she's a bad idea, I'm going to stick it out. And then it's going into all the different crazy stuff. Like, she's stealing from them. They fight with weapons. She, like, um, emasculates him, I guess is what he's trying to say a little bit there. And then they break up and she just moves next door and breaks into his house and is like lying in bed with him. Oh, dude. Whoa. Holy (laughs) shit. I just thought of what maybe the meaning of this song is right now is (laughs) that we're using crazy. That's one of those words that maybe you shouldn't use any these days. But what what what's insinuated is it's a violent, dangerous person, you know, but they have great sex is what they're saying. So he, he keeps going with it, even though she's dangerous. And then she, you know, so he finally breaks it off because she's dangerous is guys. I'm asking you right now. Then she moves out of the house. He moves next door. He locks her out. She cuts a hole in the wall. Then he finds her sleeping next to him when he thought he was alone. You're driving me crazy. And then it just ends with a laid. Does that mean that he is, that it went from laid meaning having sex to laid meaning she killed him? No, I don't think so because you're skipping the one line. He says, you're driving me crazy. When are you coming home? So it's like all the things that he did to separate himself from her. He's still just like, sorry, got to bring it back. (laughs) You're coming back over. We're getting laid. Back up. (laughs) You're driving me crazy. When are you coming home? How do you know that? That's not what she's saying to him. Oh, I don't know. Cause everything else has been sort of first person, right? He says, no, she it, said it when flip. it's other people's. Oh, yeah. okay. It flips. I think when he's, he's having the session uh, with the shrink. Um, 
but no that's i think that's a pretty valid theory i think it's more just like we'll, we'll call the character the narrator james yeah. i know that's not the singer's name but that's in my fine. mind good old james it's, is it's canon yeah <laughs> it's it's canon in the james cinematic universe <laughs> that james is is the hero the going through <laughs> the james uh, verse this, this story <laughs> yeah so yeah i think james is just like you know what she's a freak maybe i'm a freak too yeah i i think that i'm i think that i'm right i would love to talk to tim about this i think the laid at the end means now he's laid like laid to rest laid to rest yeah, yeah that's what i think is, is happening here it reminds me of mm. i don't know if you guys are familiar with this mr t experience song called deep deep down which was on the album love is dead uh, yeah. and it's this like really catchy it sounds like a love song sounds like a breakup song but when you listen to it and you like it took me like 50 times listening to this song but when you read the lyrics you realize it's about a murder you would never know it and i kind of feel like this is a song mm. like that and i never until we started talking about it and seeing that that third verse i'm like confused and i'm like oh i, I don't know i think it's an interesting theory you i like you might have turned me yeah you might have turned me because I also struggled to accept that like such an elegantly horny song would be called laid, which is such a brutish, like late nineties, very American pie way to communicate like the, you know, the act of lovemaking mm -hmm. for sure. So by putting that artistic spin on it, I'm, I'm kind of a little more bought in actually. Yeah. I think it, that's a very interesting theory. And James, once again, Matt, you brought this up already, but if you were from England and listening to this right now, you're probably like, dudes, what the hell? James is not a one-hit wonder. James is huge in England. James has released like 15 full-length albums, I believe. He released They released their 16th album last year. Like They have not slowed down besides like a brief like five-year hiatus in the early aughts. They have just been dropping records left and right. I was under the impression it, there was like several artists called James because when you look on Apple Music, it's a mess. Like yeah. I have no idea what's what and who's the actual artist behind this, but I think it is just all the same, James. So, well, no, because at one point when I was trying to find the wiki page to even do some research, I was still under the impression that it was a soloist. So I typed in James and then up came James and then in parentheses, musician, who is a Bangladesh mm. singer, songwriter, guitarist, and composer, which I immediately realized was not the James that I was looking for. And then I just started to search for the word delayed on Wikipedia, which also was not the easiest searching results that I've ever seen. But I, I got to where I needed to get to to get some research done for this episode. But you are right. Between the artist's name and the song title, just horrendous SEO problems <laughs> across the board. Yeah. Uh, well... I got to tell you guys, I watched an interview with Tim Booth from last year on BBC. It was like the morning show on, in the BBC. He now, he was kind of had a curly hair and whatever. Now he has a completely shaved bald head. He has a goatee and he's a very well-spoken guy. And he was talking about their new music and an album they wrote during the pandemic. He talked about his father-in-law died from COVID in the first wave of COVID. And they wrote a song for him. Whoa. And uh, they were doing, you know, live stream things like a lot of bands were doing. And he lives, I guess he lives in the States because then he got on to talking about, you know, the problem with racism in America. And he was talking about how we had a fascist president. We had like, he was really 
well-spoken and I was just like on the same page of <laughs> with him with everything as, you know, I, I'd assume all, all of us would be. He was very cool and just an impressive catalog. I listened to tons of their music today and the, the music, it's very good. So many songs I listened to. They had some good music videos too. Uh, there's a song called Sometimes, which I thought was like a pretty good song. Yeah. And yeah. it's them playing in the ocean, which I thought was like a really cool music video. They had a more recent, maybe six or seven years ago, song called Just Like Fred Astaire that I thought was good. And I read like a heartbreaking YouTube comment on that song. It said, the moment I realized I was in love with my husband a couple weeks after we met was while I was listening to this song for the first time eight years ago in the car driving to meet him after my friend's wedding where this song was on the wedding favor, which was a mix CD made by the groom. My husband died one year ago today from cancer at 38 years old. I'm thankful I have that moment of realization and feeling preserved in this song forever. And I'm right back in the car driving again every time I hear it. I believe in happiness. I believe in love. I believe he fell to earth from somewhere high above. I will always miss you and will love you forever. Heart. And that was the top YouTube comment to that. And I was like, damn. Damn. Oof. I was like. YouTube comments have come a long way. Yeah. yeah. Especially yeah. on music videos. Yeah, like, for sure. Remember the YouTube comments we used to get? <laughs> oh, yeah. Damn. You you read the YouTube comments lately? Now Macklemore be saying that. And it would mean they're actually really sweet and nice and well written. <laughs> they're very heartfelt. Uh, but. Yeah. I got. I would say that people that want to know more about James, some of the songs sometimes remind me of a, a little bit of like U2. Sometimes they remind me of a little bit of like Edward Sharp and Magnetic Zeros. Like mm. they have like a jangly vibe to them usually. That was the other thing that blew me away was when I saw currently on Wikipedia, like the list of band members. It's like a nine piece band at this yeah. point that they have of yeah. like... Like they've come a long way from a, a couple of acoustic guitars and a rolling snare drum in, interlude. Like It's very, like, it reminds me a little bit of The Cure, which is, like, one of my favorite bands ever, but with this, like, little tinge of, like, Celtic yeah. energy. Yeah, they at do. At least, like, this album that's... And also, Chris, I don't know if you listen to this guy, but your boy Steve, a few years ago, introduced me to Ezra Furman. Mm. And I feel like Ezra Furman was just birthed out of the bridge from laid. Like if you took the bridge from laid <laughs> and created a person and that person made like pretty good music, it would, it'd be as Furman. Yeah. That I know exactly what you're talking about. That Celtic sound a little bit. Like yeah, that yeah. usually <laughs> keeps me from liking something, right. that, something about that style, that sound, even if it's really well done, just something just mm -hmm. doesn't vibe with me. It might it might be my zero percent Irish lineage yeah. or something. I just sure, I have yeah. no no tie to that. Matt Kelly, sorry, Matt Kelly. I was gonna say, but my twenty five percent Irish heritage makes me love all Celtic music when I hear it mixed. Yeah. If I hear it mixed into anything, I'm like, ooh, there's a there's a lovely Celtic cover of uh, "Can't Help Falling in Love with You" that's at the end of like a John Hughes movie, and I'm like, this is the best version this song has ever had. If someone pitches you, so imagine the Cure but played by the Boston Celtics logo. You'd be like, yes, yep. I'm in. Oh, sign, news, sign me up. That's the 1993 James album. <laughs> <Nice>. <laughs> titled Laid. Yeah. Uh, hey, I got to also tell you guys that uh, 
They played at Woodstock 94, the best Woodstock yeah. by far. 1,000%. Just reminded of that again by a second documentary about Woodstock 99 dropping <laughs> at the time that we're recording this. Yeah. How Did you much, watch it? You kn- oh, yeah. I watched Did you watch too. it, Tony? Yeah. Oh. I'm a... I'm a Hulu one guy. I think I'm, I'm Hulu- sticking. Oh well, that was yeah. a Bill I mean, Simmons. That was the Bill Simmons one. You're the, the Bill you're Simmons Bill one Simmons is guy. way better. But there but, you go. But the Netflix one just reiterates what I already felt, which was, man, the guys who organized that shit probably should have gotten a lot more fines and uh bad shit put on them than fucking Limp Bizkit yeah. and Red Hot Chili. Like, don't get me wrong, Red Hot Chili Peppers and Limp Bizkit didn't help the situation, <laughs> but. It very much stems from like, we'll just take everybody's water, charge them an astronomical amount of amount of money to stay hydrated and put them on asphalt for three days and see what happens. Well, it reiterated (laughs) a couple things for me. It was one, look, even more footage of Flea's penis. Yep. I mean, what I mean, if, I was gl- how I was Flea like, I, there has to be more. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> we need more <laughs> angles of Flea's penis. And also another thing, which I think is kind of like, ah, uh, about it. Is on both of those, you're <laughs> part of the problem was like the the sexual assault type stuff going on and like mm-hmm. yeah. and, and and just you know, but they're once again showing a bunch you know showing the naked girls yeah. and it's not like I'm opposed to naked girls, but I'm I'm kind of opposed to naked girls who probably don't want their video of them from uh, twenty five years ago on Netflix. Right? Yeah. But they have... Yeah, I, I re- no, I was going to say, I guess they have to sign a release, but probably not, since that was already public footage on pay-per-view. Someone was, like, waiting outside of Costco for, like, a 40-something-year-old woman with a with a release. Like, hey, can you please sign yeah, this? Please. Because we really want... I'm her. begging you. Um, <laughs> well, the other... So, let me ask one quick question. I've done zero research on this, because we really need more documentaries about Woodstock 94 and less about I Woodstock know, 99 at this right? point. But... The other part that I realized was really dumb at Woodstock 99, I'm hoping that they didn't do this at 94, was the, hey, the stage shut down at midnight, so there's an all-night rave until the next day's performance to keep you wide awake and drugged up. I, I'm hoping they didn't do that at 94. 94, <laughs> like, I feel like... 94 <laughs> seemed awesome. I'm telling you, 69, yeah. I watched documentaries about 69. Boring. <laughs> yeah, but the, the, the lineup was terrible. Nobody that yeah. you thought when you look at the lineup, there's a few, but like none of the big hitters were there. It's no, like there's the, a lot more of it's a it's a veritable who's that performing at Woodstock ninety sixty nine. Are people like that psyched for uh, country Joe McDonald or something? Like it's like not that. I great mean, of, to be what? fair, country Joe McDonald also played ninety five ninety four. Yeah, true, true. <laughs> I get it, but but my point is, there's not. Uh, that great of a lineup and it got rained out real bad. Like at the end, it turned into a mess. 94 has such an amazing lineup and you know, I know it got muddy and whatever, but like, that's part of like the awesomeness of it was like the green day mud fight, nine inch nails covered in mud. Like that's part of the awesomeness of it. And then 99 <laughs> is all- obviously a disaster. That's also something you get to do when you have the show at a, in a field as opposed right. to on an Air Force base. Yeah. You could argue that James playing Woodstock 99 would have brought some peace because maybe busting out laid and you have all those like really horned up jockey dudes being like, you know what? I think I'm going to go to therapy. I got some issues. To <laughs> dude, work out. dude I just had the most amazing. <laughs> we got to we got to somehow create this on YouTube. 
Imagine Woodstock 99 documentary, but instead of it being Limp Biscuit, being like, oh, yeah, where he does that little speech about, like, you just got to let it all out, man. You you yeah. have a you know you having boy problems you having girl problems you girl having problems. job problems and then <laughs> and then when it, you just gotta let all that fucking aggression out just people fucking knocking shit over setting shit on fire Tim riding almost passed out myself a headache I was laughing so Tim riding a big board in the middle of people are trying to control Tim while he's going. Could you imagine how amazing that would be? God. The only other thing I want to say about the Woodstock 99 documentary that Netflix put out is something that I guess they didn't really cut. I don't remember them covering in the HBO Max slash Hulu one. They really highlighted that Gavin Rossdale had a real, real tough, tough job to go out there immediately after Korn and do his like boy band version of an alternative rock band performance and actually like won the crowd over. And I looked at their set list as a dude who loves the band Bush. I can't think of a better Bush set list than what they played at Woodstock 99. That was a good set. This isn't that funny, but it kind of funny. One of the people, Tony, you didn't see the, the new documentary, but one of, the, one of the women was talking about how she got, she got trench mouth at Woodstock 99 yeah. from all the like disgusting water, the brown water and the, yeah. oh, Jesus Christ. Oh, when the people well, like dive I, into the piss and shit, I'm just like, ugh. what are you doing? So I think I texted you this, Chris. I know for a fact I texted Jonathan London this because I watched that doc the day it came out and I was like, doesn't give you a whole lot of new information, but man, did they pick one hillbilly to interview that oh, they made yeah. sure to include in every episode. Yeah. And it is it is worth watching for just that dude's sound bites because yeah. <laughs> that guy was loving Woodstock 99. Yeah. I love how all the people that were there are just like, it was awesome. <laughs> it was, it oh, was yeah. so cool. Uh, um, anyway, bringing it, yes. ba- bringing it back. Back to James. Back to James. <laughs> What's left to be said about James? I mean, the the song is great. I mean, I, I I probably like it now more than ever after doing a lot of research today. It kind of flew under my radar. I, I remember it being a buzz clip on MTV. I remember it being part of like the American Pie verse or whatever. But um, yeah. I I think it's great. I'm not that the rest of their music's not really my thing. But Jesus, we we give bands a hard time for like not following up. <laughs> This man is this man has released like twenty albums and they and and like a new one they have a new one they're still at it he, and he had no signs of slowing down still for James. I mean, according to Wikipedia, twenty five million records sold worldwide or something absurd like that. Yeah, I mean, go watch that their live performances of this song, even like in more recent years, they bring like a ton of people out on stage, like dancing and partying the whole crowd bouncing, singing. I mean, geez, I got to go major thunderstorm on this one. This I'm is... going with you, Chris. I'm saying thunderstorm as well on this one. Uh, and, and a Woodstock 94 level thunderstorm oh, yeah. for James. Uh, the only thing that could even elevate this song more is Chris, you know what you got to do. What? You got to get Tim Booth on Chris to makes and have oh, him yeah. tell you if this song mm. involves the narrator dying at the end or not. I'm that's next on my. I, I got it on my to do list. I already thought I got to hit up this <laughs> Tim Booth guy. I got to get him on. And, and while you have him, while you have him, it could be worth being like. By the way, you know, like 
I don't know if it's Netflix or Hulu, maybe both, probably both. We want to pitch this documentary about that cult you were maybe in. <laughs> yeah. uh, that, could be worth, that could be worth just casually bringing up. Yeah, true. Uh, I'm assuming, Tony, that, that this is a thunder for you as well. I'm going to take a pause here. Um, and I'm going to throw another wrench in your guys, uh, how you wrap this up. Because I'm noticing in recent episodes of this show, it's almost like Johnny's pool is a character in the story. Does laid by James make oh. the play to Johnny's pool playlist? Absolutely. I, I, yeah. and I'll tell okay. you why I could picture myself so clearly and several people I know waiting for that drum roll and jumping off that. Oh, smacking that water, smacking that water <laughs> right when it hit, kicks in. Could you imagine actually the next time I go swimming at Johnny's, I'm going to insist on mm-hmm. laid on repeat. <laughs> I'm going to insist. There's no way that that'll get obnoxious after a couple hours. No, I, I could. I could listen. To, how many times in a row could you listen to laid before you started getting mad? Do you think you could make like one of those 10 hour loops where every time it sounds like the song's over, the snare brings it back into the very beginning of the song? <laughs> Probably. I'm sure that'd be very easy to do. But yeah, Thunder all the way. Always has been since I was a nine year old kid singing it to my mother in the car. Uh, <laughs> no regrets. All right, Tony, is there anything that uh, you have to promote real quick before we wrap this up? Nothing really to plug. I got a podcast floating out there called Good Nature you can check out. Um, working on some other stuff that'll hopefully be on screens of some sort in the next couple of years. And uh, as always, thanks for having me. Thanks awesome. for giving me number five. Yeah. One for the thumb. This has been One Hit Thunder. One Hit Thunder is hosted by Chris Fallios of the bands Punchline, Pack, and Another Cheetah and produced by Matt Kelly of Geekscape.net. Underneath me, you're hearing the Punchline song Now I See off their album Thrilled. Visit punchline.com for merch, tour dates, and news. We're on Patreon now. Become a patron and get free bonus content, early episodes, and a chance to vote on future episodes at patreon.com backslash podcast. Do you want to start a podcast? Then contact Chris and I at weknowpodcasting.com for how we can make your show sound as professional as possible. Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe to us on your favorite podcasting app. And tune in next week for another episode of One Hit Thunder. Lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.
Hey everyone, this is Tuck from Fit for a King, an off-road minivan. Every week I bring you fun interviews alongside your favorite metalcore entertainers with my new podcast, Get Tucked. Join me every Monday with bands like Counterparts, Crystal Lake, like Moths to Flames, and many more. We play unsigned and undiscovered bands, deep dive into each artist's history, and of course provide the greatest breakdowns in current metalcore. Tune in to Get Tucked every Monday, out now through Sound Talent Media.